it's, uh, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> okay. So it's, it, it's really a, a treat to be able to hang out with you guys this weekend. And I know Cheryl had a ball yesterday and, and, uh, it, it, it's just good to have good family, good brothers and sisters in Christ all over, you know, and, and to be able to spend this time together is pretty wonderful. Um, also today there's a, there's a couple more people from Midtown Baptist Temple that showed up. Could if, Perkins, if you guys would just wave. This is the, the Perkins uh, in visiting family and, and decided to come hang out with you guys this morning. And so um, we brought some KC with us, apparently. Yeah, praise, praise God. Um, your pastor asked me to, to uh, cover something that, that we had in focus in the discipleship conference. And so if you would, grab your Bibles, turn to... 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to look at prevailing prayer. We want to see Hannah and her answered prayer. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And, and uh, while you're turning, I'm just going to call on the Lord on all of our behalf. All right, Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And Lord, we need you. God, we don't want to uh, come to your word and just engage with data and information Lord, we want you to speak to us. We want to hear from you. Uh, Lord, we want you to, to, to grow, to increase our faith. Uh, Lord, that we'd pray in faith, that we'd pray believing, believingly. God, that we would pray according to your will. And Lord, because we're in agreement with your word, that we'll have what we request and, and it'll all fall out to your glory. And so, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this local church, that, Lord, they'd be fruitful, that they'd multiply, uh, that they would, they would uh, have people, that everyone would have people at the judgment seat of Christ that they can point to and say, you're my crown of rejoicing here today. Uh, Lord, I ask that you'd take the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips and, and uh, you know how I jumble up words, and Lord, would you just set all of that aside and, and uh, God speak to us. Through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Samuel chapter 1 opens with the spotlight on Hannah, Hannah's family, and Hannah wants a baby. Uh, she wants her family to grow. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see is her family has to grow, and she is desperate. Why isn't her family growing? And there's application for us as a local church. We're the bride of Christ, and as such, we're to be fruitful, we're to multiply. And we're to be about the business of replenishing this earth with sons and daughters of God who will give glory to him. And so for a church family, how does a church family grow? How does this local church win souls and make disciples that will go on to do the same? How does a ministry grow? Christ commanded us in Matthew chapter 8 or 28, you get the Great Commission. He tells us to go into all the world and basically to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, we're to go and we're to preach the gospel to every creature and those that respond, we baptize them and then we teach them all things whatsoever the Lord's commanded us. We disciple them and he's with us in that mission in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It starts in Jerusalem and then from there to Judea, the greater Judean area, then on cross-culturally to Samaria and then, then ultimately to the nations of the world. And, and that's what the bridegroom has commanded us as the bride to do. We're supposed to be a fruit-bearing people. Uh, we're, I mean, we're, we're, local churches should be spiritual baby-making factories, right? 
And so if that's not happening, right, if we've been commissioned and set by the king to take kingdom territory, if we're by God's design, we're to be fruitful and to multiply, if that's not happening, why not? Uh, can the fault be the Lord's, I mean, is it on the Lord's part, the fault, if we're not winning souls and making disciples? Something's going on with us, right? And so what's, you know, how, how do we make application to the local church? If we're the sent ones, and if what we've been sent for to be fruitful, reproduce, right? If that's not being accomplished, why is that? If I'm not winning people, if I'm not edifying people, if I'm not, if I'm not helping to make disciples, why is that? Now, understanding what I know from Romans chapter 1, that the invisible things of God, right, the, the, the visible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. We get insight into the person of God, the spiritual things of God by seeing what he did in this world. And so just bear with me a moment and just think for a second. If you take into consideration the universal truth of the third law of motion as stated by the great mathematician Sir Isaac Newton, and it's, it states this, for every action, there is what? That's right. This is an educated crowd. There's an equal and opposite reaction. So think about it. If this church, if the action is to have a multiplying ministry, a fruitful ministry that's multiplying to the glory of God, then what's going to be the equal opposite reaction to that? I mean, where's Satan going to attack? And whenever I think about the ways that Satan works to derail us from the mission that God gave us, and I think about all the methods that he uses, the force, right, that reactive force that comes against God's people to keep us faithless, prayerless, fruitless. Sometimes it's overwhelming to me as a pastor because I see what's going on in the lives of people. People got problems in their own life, but typically that's not what derails them. It's the problems they have with other people in their life is what Satan will use to derail them. Uh, those things got to get worked out. They've got lost loved ones that they're worried about. There's hardships of life. Illness, physical illness can come in the form of attack and, and derail God's people. So these are problems that except God moves on our behalf and delivers us or carries us through those problems, where's the hope? See, here's the problem. We will not be a fruitful people. We won't be effective in ministry. We're not going to be powerful in reproduction if we buy the agenda of the enemy that, that, that comes against us to derail us. So everything I try, it just seems like it goes wrong. And so why try? And, and so I'll just watch Netflix. Okay, so that's how, that's how the enemy wants to corner you. And that's where he wants to place you. Uh, without God moving and intervening so that some supernatural, uh, there's got to be supernatural productivity that's taking place, right? There needs to be a supernatural work that produces new life. Except God moves, what hope is there for the local church? Now, what hinders local churches from tapping into that power source is all the internal dysfunction, Sister so-and-so's got a problem with sister what's-her-face, and brother so-and-so, he's mad at, you know, however it worked out with brother what's-his-face over this deal that they were supposed to do. And, and so now the Holy Spirit's grieved, and, and uh, you know, the father is, like, shaking his head at his children, and, and there's no power for reproduction. 
You know the sentiment that some people grew up with, the family that bathes together. Yeah, see, you know about that. <laughs> the family that bathes together stays together. It was a trap, brother. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I, you know, I, that's, that's how us kids grew up. Uh, you know, mom throw three of us in the tub at a time. You know, that's a, I, you know, it's actually not a true statement. We've had times in our family where we've been very divided. Uh, it's, just, it's just not true. You know, a family that bathes together doesn't necessarily stay together. But the church family, okay, the church family that will humble themselves and get on their knees together and call on the Lord together in prayer, and then they see God move in their midst, that is a family that will thrive. And they will be fruitful, and they will multiply, and they will take kingdom territory. There's no possible way to overcome Satan's onslaught in and of ourselves in the arm of our strength, right? If we're trying to do it by ourselves because, man, we've put the church together right, it's lit right, we got the smoke machines going just right, and the lasers are cutting through that fog, and, and the pastor comes in in his skinny jeans and his, you know, his rocking shirt, and he's just, you know, he, he knows how to move dramatically, you know, like, that isn't going to cut it. That's not, I'm, I'm not saying that Jay couldn't pull it off. I'm just saying that there's no power there. We serve the almighty God of creation. And by calling on him over the promises in his word, the ministry will bear fruit. Because he designed it to work that way. It will bear fruit. So we got to lay hold of the throne of grace. We got to claim victory. Because God's not going to hand victory to a to an undeserving, uninterested, don't care about anything spiritual, Laodicean party. He's just not going to do that. If we don't care, God says, well, okay, according to your faith, be it unto you. So I want to talk to you about our need to desperately pray. Right? Some people say, man, I, I said some words at God one time and nothing changed. Well, okay, let's talk about that. I want to talk to you about our petitions before the Lord. This church has to take this church, your work together as a local church ministry, you have to take it to the Lord in prayer. Uh, this church has to get on its knees and inject God into the endeavor that he's called you to. Because nothing God's called you to can you accomplish in and of yourself. You can't give anybody eternal life. You can't make anybody mature. You can't make anybody want right, do right, walk right. God has to work in and through his people to open eyes, to convict hearts, and to empower people to, 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 to live out in the, re the reality of his word. Otherwise, everything in ministry gets derailed. Many remain barren, unable to produce fruit in their lives to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, we see this instruction to the local church. First Timothy's written so that the church, right, Tim knows how to lead the church, how, the, how, to, how, how we're to behave in the house of God. And so this is how we do prayer. First Timothy 2 verse 1, he says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, here's your first priority as a local church. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. But we have problems. This is one area. What's, what should be first of all in the church, this is what we struggle most of all, and it ends, up, it ends up tactically, practically being last of all in terms of our priorities of ministry. Did you follow that? Okay, so here, let, you know, there are problems in prayer. 
often we go to prayer and we don't even really ask for anything. Our prayers will cover so many topics. They'll go all over the world and not really actually ask for things that matter. The rubber will not get on the road in terms of God's people praying together. And we pray, th- you know, we pray the bless me prayers. Lord, would you bless mommy? Would you bless daddy? Would you bless the missionary? Would you bless my teacher? We pray like little children, right? We make all kinds of words, but we don't actually ask God for anything. Why? Because we don't actually expect anything from God. A lot of people would be really surprised if God actually did answer their prayers. What we need are people that are saying, except God moves, there's no hope. And they'll pray fervently. They'll get on their knees and they'll actually make requests, right? The, the answer can come from God alone. So we need petitioners, people who will pray as an act of dependency. They're praying, God, I'm, I'm counting on you. I'm banking on you. Without you, we can do nothing of any spiritual value. But we don't do that, right? We count on everything but God. We count on credit cards. We count on our friends. We count on our coworkers. We count on our neighbors. And we don't say, God, I need help, and supplicate before the Lord. God, accept you move. I labor in vain. God, accept you build this ministry, build this house. We're just wasting our time. We don't attempt, this is the case for many Christians, many churches, we don't attempt to move God by pleading with him. So get this down in your notes. Petitions, supplications, they come because you know that God needs to act. Even if you don't know how he must move, you just know that your need requires that he must help. I need to win somebody to Christ, but I don't know how to do that. Every time I start sharing the gospel, I get all nervous, and, and it sounds like I'm pitching something. It sounds like I'm pitching a timeshare or something, and it's just so awful and awkward. And, you know, where, where are those examples of just this beautiful moment where the gospel pours out of my mouth just right where a person has the need, and, 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 the, and they're just falling under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and, and they're confessing their sin, and they're calling on the Lord? How, how come I can't live that? Well, we need God to move. We need God to work. We need God to provide the new birth. So he has to help. So get this down in your notes. The first time the word petition shows up in the Bible, it makes a perfect example for how the church can have power in prayer. So let's look at the example of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah's got a really big problem. Uh, She wants all the right things, but she can't do it. She can't have a baby. She wants a baby. It's right for her to want a baby. As a matter of fact, the pressure that she gets from the other woman really makes it critical, right? She's desperate for that one thing that she desires, fruit. She wants a child. And the reason that this is such a great passage that applies to the church, if this church is looking to be fruit-bearing, if this church is looking to multiply ministry, Hannah has the key. Here's Hannah. Okay, don't miss the picture. She has a wonderful husband. He's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with her husband. As a matter of fact, we already know that the fact that she's barren isn't her father, her husband's fault because he's fathering children with the other woman. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 1. Here's Hannah. She's got a wonderful husband, but her joy is not full. That's your next blank. So verse 1, here's uh, Elkanah's family. Verse 2 says he has two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. 
Verse 4 says, When the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina and his, his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary, Hannah's adversary is the other woman, Penina, her adversary provoked her sore for to make her, uh, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so, watch this now, year by year, she's desperate for a baby. Year by year, she can't have a baby. Year by year, the other woman is cranking out a baby and mocking her to both Hannah and to her husband every year. It's getting worse and it's getting worse. As he did so, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she, Penina, provoked Hannah, provoked her. Therefore, she, Hannah, wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, to her, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy, thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? Well, in terms of the type, here's, here's you know, he is a type of Christ. Hannah, his bride, is a type of the church. Is the Lord Jesus not better to us than ten disciples? Than ten people we could ever lead to Christ? Absolutely. There's no comparison. Jesus is better than a thousand disciples. Like, he's everything, right? So he's like, am I not better to thee than ten sons? But Hannah's got this problem. It's bigger than what she, it's bigger than her capacity. She obviously can't get it done. It's beyond her ability. And I'm sure she tried everything in her power. She drank her ginseng tea. She ate her mandrakes. She was watching the calendar, watching the clock. You know, she's timing everything out, uh, doing the thermometer, the whole nine yard. Okay. But she's barren. Verse 6 says she's mocked and ridiculed. So Penina is in her life. Oh, joy. She's her rival. That's your next blank. And Penina is working to turn Elkanah's heart from Hannah. And her goal is to point out Hannah's obvious glaring deficiency, not just to Hannah, but to her husband. You see that in the text. So it, it doesn't get any worse than this. Have you ever had that person in your life that's always making sure that you know everything that's wrong with you? Uh, what joy, you know? <laughs> just know they're not wise. 2 Corinthians ten twelve says that it's not wise. We don't compare ourselves with some that commit, commend themselves, right? And here's the, here's, here's the point, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise, but that's what this woman is doing. She's comparing herself to Hannah. I'm better than you. You're taking up space in the tent. <laughs> Why don't you just roll over and die? Okay, so it's a horrible situation to be in. Verse 7 says, the adversary provokes her Causes her to fret very, 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 very grievously. Notice when it happens. It's always at the time of the feast days. This is a time when the whole family is supposed to be drawing close to the Lord. Right? These are times where she should be rejoicing spiritually, but the enemy's making sure she's miserable. You ever noticed how it just seems like if something's going to go wrong, it's whenever we're supposed to be coming together to worship? Uh, it just seems like, especially if it's coming together to pray. When the church is coming together, I mean, there's just always something that comes up. What's happening? It's strategic, man. Anything to keep the church from getting on their knees together and calling on the Lord to do what only he can do. And so this is a time when they're supposed to be worshiping and being close to the Lord. The goal of the enemy is always the same. He wants to rupture 
our fellowship with God. And that's what this woman is doing with Hannah. She wants to rupture her relationship with, with her husband, Elkanah. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And what, what hurts most people is how he, he doesn't play fair. Uh, he will cut you where it hurts in the ways that it hurts the most in order to depress you and think that, you know, the bridegroom really isn't that interested in you. And he wants to embitter you toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Hannah. She's got a great marital relationship with a loving husband. We see that from verses 5 and 8. But she's got no children of her own to love and care for. So here's the picture. Jesus is better to us than ten disciples. And yet, God has so designed us as Christians that the wonderful relationship that we have with Christ is not actually enough. You say, that sounds like heresy. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Look at the picture. There must be fruit. Why? How can I say that and not feel like a heretic? Because the bridegroom told us to bear fruit. Have you ever read the Gospel of John? If we abide in the vine, what will happen? He abides in us. The same bears what kind of fruit? Much fruit. So we're designed this way. Lord, I'm so glad I got you in my life. And you're everything in you and you alone I can be content. And yet at the same time, that's not enough. Because you're designed as the bride of Christ to be fruit-bearing. So what she's yearning for, it's right. There must be fruit. So the depression is real. She's got legit reasons for it. Depression, by the way, in your life, that's, you know, that happens from time to time. It's like the, it's like the dashboard lights on your car, you know, the idiot lights. When one of those comes on, it's like, something's wrong. You better go get it checked out. When you're feeling depressed, well, something's wrong. Go get it checked out. Don't just keep driving, hoping that somehow things are just, you know, it's just going to get better by itself. I mean, you do that in your car, you're going to get stuck on the side of road, right? Roadside begging for service. Well, so also in your life, why am I feeling depressed? What does the Bible say about it? Maybe I need some help reckoning it over my life, right? Believing it over my life is true, but I need to be moving forward in faith. Otherwise, you know, the depression saying, Wise up, straighten up. This is not how you're supposed to roll. So she's got a, a real depression. She's tormented in verse 6. And how does she respond? Okay, so this is the beautiful part, part of the picture. She's very true to her name. Her heart attitude is that she knows that victory has to come supernaturally. And so what does she do? She needs God's grace, so she goes to get it. She's done with the cycle of insanity, she's going to get God's grace. So here's the key to Hannah's victory. Hannah's desperate need forces her to her knees. Verse 10 says, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And so she's pouring her heart out to the Lord and then her pastor comes in and he's like, are you drunk woman? What is wrong with you? Sober up, get a job, you bum, you know, I mean, so not always will the pastor respond appropriately whenever you're going through a tough time. This is just, you know, that can happen. Verse 15, Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. So God is so good. He reveals specific things to you in your life, and they're designed to drive you to your knees. And so I want us to pay attention to what Hannah's doing here. Notice her response. Number one, Hannah is rightfully sorrowful. She's full of sorrow. 
She understood, Psalms 127, verse 3, that children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Well, so also the believer. We need to understand the same thing. Uh, we're to have children. We're to have disciples. John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that, so, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So that's power in prayer. That's the key to this ministry doubling. I mean, just think about that. If every, if every member of this church got full of faith and trusted God to do what only God could do, if we were recognizing our personal inability and we're saying, God, you see me. I mean, you, I, I, I can't bear fruit except you work supernaturally through me. I mean, man, if even half the church got full of faith and led someone to Christ and began to train them up in the word of God, what would that do? Right? What would that do to the dynamic of your local church ministry? You'd, you'd think you'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, if half of MBT led somebody to Christ over the next year, we'd be in trouble. I don't know where we'd put them all, but man, praise the Lord. It's lap set in time. What, you know, what have we got to do? But there it is, man. I mean, she is so sorrowful. She cannot have children. She's barren. She's unfruitful, and that's not right. Well, the same thing's true of many Christians today. We don't... We don't we believe the word of God, but we don't always follow what we know to be true. We don't always follow our faith. We don't always believe tactically the word of God. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, talk about God giving us his word so that we can be a partaker of his divine nature, so we can live the life that he designed us to live. And what does he do? Well, he gives us seven things to obtain victory, right? We're... We're given knowledge of him. Why? He, he, he gives us this knowledge because he's called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by the word of God, we can be partakers of the divine nature. This is how we don't keep living lost. It's how we can start living Christ. And so what does he do? He's given you these seven things. Seven things that make you what? Look at verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound... Right, If the word of God is in you and abounding in you, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't miss the picture, right? What she's doing is she's saying, I know that the fruit of the womb is your reward. I don't have that. And God, I'm pleading. I am seeking your face for what only you can do. She's requesting a supernatural birth. And so here's Hannah, and she says to, he, to Eli, she says to her pastor, verse 16, I'm not an SOB, right? Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. It's the sons of Belial. That's the SOB of the Bible. I'll let you do the math on that. For out of, their abundance of, my, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat. And her countenance was no more sad. It doesn't matter what Penina says. It doesn't matter the trash she's talking on her to her husband. She's not sad anymore. Why? Because she's now got a word from the Lord. She's full of faith, isn't she? Hannah left with things resolved. She left her burden, she cast her care on the Lord, and she, know he was gonna, she knows he's going to take care of it. Did you know that he careth for you? 
Lord, I don't want to waste my, I don't want to waste my life just living life, working a job, <laughs> you know, get a paycheck on Friday, spend it up on the weekends, go back to work on Monday. I'm like a rat on a wheel. I'm a rat. In a, no, I don't want to do that. I want to matter for your kingdom. God, except you work supernaturally. I'll labor in vain. I'll live in vain. I want my life to take kingdom territory for your glory. God, I know you care for me. So here's the key to Hannah's victory. She prays, she leaves it with the Lord, and then she gets to work. What comes next? Well, next she spends quality time with her husband because she, she wants a baby. Without quality time with her husband, there's going to be no answer to prayer without her obedience. Do you see that? Okay, so this is critical. Just with the church, we're to abide and we're to spend quality time with the Lord Jesus Christ. We abide in him. He abides in us as the bride of Christ. That's where the fruit comes from. Because Christ has to open the doors for ministry. Number two, Hannah prayed fervently. This is what's wrong with the prayer lives of many Christians today. They don't pray fervently. You know why their prayers are weak? It's because the, the, the first and last time they got desperate in prayers when they were asking God to forgive their sins and save them, save them from hell, right? They cried out to God for salvation, and that was the last real prayer that ever came out of their mouth. So let me explain this in terms that every Christian can understand. There was a time in your life where you came up against a situation that you could not control. It was hell, you can't fix hell. You can't avoid hell. You know hell is coming. With, I mean, hell is coming for you because of your sin. You saw the exceeding sinfulness of your sin. You saw that you were separated from a God who is love. And no matter how big a man you may think that you are, you don't have an ability to put out a fire like hell. So you recognize you're in big trouble. You had to escape. And so you took your only option. You actually believed on Christ's finished work at the cross of Calvary. And so what you had to do, your only choice was you had to take God at his word because you weren't there 2,000 years ago. You saw none of it. You just had to believe the good news that was preached to you. You had to take God at his word. You had to simply trust God in the situation that you were in. You're facing hell over your sin, that God made a way of escape, that God dealt with your sin problem. You had to take him at his word. Then when you trusted Christ, you in effect reckoned yourself alive unto God. Romans chapter 6. You had to do that. In other words, that's all God gave you to go on. But you did that. Amen. If not, you need to be saved today. At some point, you had to say, okay, God, I'm taking your, your word, and I'm just so sorry for my sin, and I'm so desperate to be in right relationship with you, so I'm pleading the shed blood at Calvary to wash my sin away. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life. Save me. Rescue me. You took God at his word by faith, and you prayed fervently, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Why? Because you had no other choice. You had to. I mean, did you get a letter from God confirming your reservation in heaven? You didn't get your letter? No, you didn't. I didn't get mine either. We, we have to just believe, simply believe, that God makes good on his promise and that he's already answered our prayer. Whenever I cried out to God for forgiveness of sin, to come into my heart and life and save me, I, I had to believe that he actually did it, and I left it with the Lord. I, in fact, I, in effect, reckoned 
that prayer answered in my life. That's what we all had to do, didn't we? Well, why is any other prayer different than that first prayer? Why is any other prayer different? When you go to the God of time and eternity, you have to have faith that he can take care of your need. And that you can receive that petition. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Psalms 20 verse 5 says, We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. The Lord fulfill what? The occasional one-off, like, what a coinky-dink. He might have answered a prayer. No, all, right? All thy petitions. So when you came to salvation's door, you had to simply believe that God, I mean, when God said he was not willing that anyone would perish, you had to, you had to take him at, at his word. You had to take that at face value. When he said he wasn't believing or willing that any would perish but have everlasting life, you had to just, in effect, walk through that door with confidence and trust that God heard you and he answered your prayer. Well, why would anything change? Why would we think that any other prayer is different? So that's the question on the floor this morning is, do we believe without a doubt that when we pray that we receive the answer to our prayers? Hannah left knowing and believing that her prayer was answered. She didn't have a baby. She just knew she had an answer to the cry of her heart. I mean, brothers and sisters, that's the key. That's the key to power in prayer. Now, there's provisos, right? I mean, we have to ask according to his word. We don't get to ask what we think is right or what we, like, we have to submit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. But do we pray believing? Do we pray believingly? Do we say amen and know that we're heard and that now God's going to work it out? That he's going to take care of it. She left. She was no more sad. You know what, God? I mean, God desires to get glory out of our life. And when you have, you know, the enemy's working to make us prayerless. And when those situations come up, the trials that God allows, even our own shortcomings, do we think, do we know, do we believe that we can take him to the Lord, or do we think we're going to deal with all of it through our own power, our own ability, and then somehow it all comes out to God's glory? I couldn't do that. I couldn't fix my problem, my sin problem, at the time of my salvation. I couldn't do it then. What makes me think I can do it now? God, thanks for the, thanks for the salvation, but I got it from here. No, I mean, come on. What hinders us from receiving our petitions? Well, it's because we want to live our life our way. So we don't knock and have it open to us. We don't ask and receive. Uh, we end up prayerless. God help us. Too many times God's people have no trust in him. I have to live my life best I know how. I got to take care of my business. We don't trust the Lord. No, the Bible says that Hannah went her way and did eat. Her depression's over because she left her burden with the Lord. Her countenance is no more sad. She trusts that God's going to remain true to his word. He's going to fulfill her petition. You know, it's one thing to tell God about your burden and desire, but it's another thing to just give them to him. You're going to take care of this. I'm done messing with it. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that it may exalt you in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, because you know this, he careth for you, for he careth for you. 
Casting your burden on the Lord relieves you of that burden. Okay, I haven't led anybody to Christ this year. Lord, you're going to take care of that. And I'm wide open and willing. And I'm, everywhere I go, I'm going to do my part, and I'm going to chum the water. You said preach the gospel to every creature. My poor cat. I mean, I'm going to get that little devil born again one way or another, right? I'm going to practice on my cat. And, uh, and I'm going I'm to lay bait everywhere, but man, God, you're going to do it, right? God, you're going to do it. You're going to use me in the lives of people. This is the path to peace. You remember the, I mean, again, the scripture commands us to be worried about it. Not, be careful for nothing, right? But in everything, by supplication and prayer, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then that's the path to that peace that passeth all understanding. And so that's where Hannah's at. Okay, God's going to bless me. I believe him. He's, he's a good God. He's a good father. I ask, so I receive. Luke chapter 11. I knocked. I found. It's opened. Uh, verse 20. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. God's a good father, right? Nobody goes to their dad and says, I'm hungry, and they get death. In return, you don't get scorpions for a meal. How much more would our Heavenly Father answer according to His glory? You know, and that's the promise of Scripture. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Psalm 37, verse 4 Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. 1 John 5, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he, and, and if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. You know, Christ taught that faith was the condition on which prayer is answered. And when our Lord, you remember the, the story where he curses the fig tree, and I mean, it withers. The disciples are shocked. You just talk trash on that tree and look at it now. And, and what was Jesus' response? He says, have faith in God. Matthew 21, verse 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this, which is done unto the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Man, that's awesome. So Hannah's asking for a baby in faith. She gets the answer. Her pastor blesses her. And, and so she trusts that God's going to deliver, even though he didn't have to. And it's when you believe that God is able, that's what will make anyone cry out. I got a problem, and I know God can fix it. I know God can lead me through it. I know God's supply is available for it. When you know that, when you believe, well, that'll get you on your knees. Absolutely, you're going to cry out to the Lord because according to my faith, be it unto me. That's what the uh, blind man says to the Lord, you know, or the, I'm sorry, the, 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 the leper says to the Lord, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And um, the Lord puts it on him, you know. He knew that Jesus was able, so he asked the blind man, same thing he's asking us today, you know, I want to see, I want to see, 
I'm tired of, I'm tired of stumbling around in the dark. Well, do you believe, right? Believe you that I'm able to do, do you think I can do this? We better say yes whenever we're considering things that can only be solved through supernatural intervention. We better say yes, because according to our faith, that's what will be unto us. So, so here's Hannah. It's got to be supernatural. So she just starts living in faith. She acts in faith because she knows that God's acting on her behalf. You know, it's very foolish to lack faith in a God that loves you so much that went out of his way to rescue you from death and sin, that made a home for you with him for, for eternity, in eternity, right? I mean, it's foolish to lack faith in a God that sets up prayer so that you can move him. Multi-billionaire Jeff Bezos, okay? If you have a need, you can go to Jeff Bezos and he won't even give you the time of day. You could be on fire and he won't cross the street to spit on you. He doesn't care about you, right? But the omnipotent creator was so moved by your petition for salvation, he gave you his life. I mean, who's Jeff Bezos compared to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's nobody. Okay, so if we can understand that concept, we're going to pray powerfully. Number three, Hannah prayed rightly. Okay, Psalm 66 tells you if you are holding on to sin ahead of a right relationship with the Lord, that's going to hinder your prayer life. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, but verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So here's Hannah, verse 10, in bitterness of soul. She's praying to the Lord. She's weeping before him. And watch this now. L listen to her prayer. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon, right, look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So what Hannah purposes in her heart, what she vows to live in is the victory that God gives her. You give me this victory, it's all yours. I'm going to give that victory 100% back into your service. She purposed in her heart that, God, if you will, in your mercy, relieve my affliction, right? If God, if you'll act in my life, then I'm going to consecrate this gift back to you entirely into your service. Okay, that is a great argument with God. You're not praying for what you want, why you want it, because you want it. No, you're praying for what God wants over your life because he wants it. And it's for his glory. That is a powerful argument with God. And so Hannah, what she's doing in this prayer, she's putting God first. She's praying right. So does God know that if he answers your prayers, that it'll fall out to his glory? Or is it just what you want? In John 15, 7, Jesus said that the disciples' prayers would be answered. Again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So here's a pro tip. When you pray, don't worry about the technicalities. I don't know if I pray good. Man, it's better to pray. I mean, Romans 8 tells us that nobody knows how to pray right. The Holy Spirit has to help all of us. I can't pray really, I can't pray really good like Pastor Jay. Well, Pastor Jay can't pray good either. All of us need the help of the Holy Spirit because we don't know how to pray. We don't know what we should be praying. I mean, we all need help. So just put it out there. Even with your own failings, pray for something, right? I mean, maybe you're praying for something that's not even on God's agenda, right? You got some of yourself in it. Well, man, at least that will get you down the road and what not to pray for next. 
put it out there. You know, Moses prayed to go into the promised land. God's like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to do that for you. Does that mean that Moses wasn't cared for by God? No way. I mean, he was God's friend. And when the time came, he's the only person that God himself does the funeral. God himself buried him. That's a pretty good, I mean, that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty sweet. I mean, that's pretty intimate. That's pretty loving, right? God buries him. You know, you don't always give your kids what they want. You give them what? What they need. You give them what's best for them. You don't give your kids what they want. Let me drive. You're three. No, you know? So on top of that, right? I mean, God loved Moses great. I, I want to go to the promised land. No. And you guys know why. But on top of that, God gives Moses a sneak preview of the ultimate promised kingdom and allows him, right? He allows him to talk with the Lord Jesus Christ on the mount of his transfiguration with the disciples who are going to be the apostles looking on. Talk about like the front seat. Moses gets it. Number four, Hannah prayed persistently. I mean, this is going on year by year. And you know what you do, Christian? Many times you claim to take your, posi- your petitions, your prayers to God, and then you don't wait on his answer. You run to the world in your own power, in your own wisdom, and try to handle the situations in life that God allowed to show you your need. He allowed him to prove his provision in your life. Effectively, so many Christians basically in terms of how they live their life. It's like, God, thank you for salvation. I was stuck on that one. You really helped me out of that jam. But I got it now. I got it from here. I got it under control. No, in verse 10, she's weeping and she's pleading before the Lord. This is after year, after year, after year. She is calling on the Lord. And here's her husband, right? I mean, he's too dumb to understand or help her. Her pastor is kicking her while she's down. She's pouring out her heart to the Lord, and her pastor rebuked, I mean, you, you lousy drunk. I mean, he's talking trash on her. She's in agony before the Lord. She's crying out to the Lord, and her pastor kicks her while she's down. She's asking for a way to give her best to God. You give me this, Lord, and I'll give it, right? I will, I will make sure it glorifies you all of its life. This baby is going to be yours, so get this down. You know, anytime you go all out for God, it's not unusual to have other believers uh, give you the beat down. It's not unusual for other believers to criticize you when they should be encouraging you. They should be helping you move forward in faith. It's like David dancing before the Lord with all his might. And then this unfruitful, barren person is mocking and ridiculing him. It's typical. You read that story in 2 Samuel 6. Here's Hannah. She's getting with God. And Eli does the same thing. She's in agony before the Lord, and, and Eli's putting the boot to her. Why? Well, because he's, har- he's, he's a carnal guy. He's a carnal pastor. He doesn't care about the things of the Lord. Uh, you read the text, and it's very clear he's very carnal. He's all about the comforts in this life. Uh, he cared more about his comfort than God's glory. In 1 Samuel 4, we find out he's a terrible father. We also find out in chapter 4 that he's a glutton. I mean, that's just how he rolls. He doesn't love the things of God. And, and so it's no wonder that he's condemning someone that loves and wants God's glory over her life. Verse 14, 
Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put thy wine from thee. So what does Hannah, I mean, what comes next? How does Hannah respond? Very typically, you know. And Hannah, what does the text say? Look at verse 14. And Hannah ultimately through wicked pride got angry, pitched a hissy fit, and stormed out of the temple in a huff. That's usually what happens. I'm trying to be earnest and sincere before God and man, and you're coming at me like a spider monkey, talking trash on me. I don't have to take it. I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> you just give up on God and God's people. Not Hannah. She's mature, and she works out her issues with people. Look at verse 15. She answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. A soft answer, shorts, I mean, it just short circuits debate. Turns away wrath, doesn't it? Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, uh, wrath, but grievous words stirreth up anger. So she gives a, just a very reasonable, calm defense that's not aggressively defensive. She just explains. I mean, so much drama in the church would be avoided if God's people would just sit down and explain what's going on. Hey, I don't like how you're rolling. Well, you don't have to like it. Kiss my grits. I'm out. You know, no. Oh, well, here, let me, let me explain what's going on. Can I share with you where I'm coming from, what my framework was in this? Like, just talk it out, you know? That's what Hannah does. She just talks it out. She gives the explanation, and that's what we need to do. If we need to receive correction, let's receive correction, but let's be reconciled. Too many of God's people give up with the first little bit of drama, the first sign of trouble, we need Christians like Hannah who will work it out year after year. They will work to reconcile year after year. That's what we need, continuing in prayer. Get this down in your notes. Your notes. Look at verse 17. Faith is the victory that overcomes. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. So verse 17, uh, here's the key. Leaders, okay, the leaders of this local church, you want to bless the faith of your brethren, right? Always make a habit. Always make it a priority to bless those who are endeavoring in faith. Verse 18, notice Hannah's faith. Her prayer, it's answered in her heart long before the baby comes. She's full of faith. So Eli's blessing that faith. She doesn't, leave with a, she doesn't leave the temple with a baby, does she? She's still just as, I mean, she's still just as childless, childless as she was when she went into the temple. But she knew that God was going to work everything out. And so that's the source of contentment. I know God's got it. He's going to work it out. God's working in my life. That's everything. I have everything that I need. It's a Philippians 4 mindset, right? I, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith, with that state, I'm content because God's got it. So number two, get this down. Faith gets down and gets to work. Faith doesn't, I mean, faith doesn't just sit and do nothing. Faith has feet. Faith has hands. Faith gets to work. Verse 19, they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her, wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. 
That's, I mean, there it is on display. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So in your face, Penina, you big disgrace, kicking your can all over the baby plate. I mean, the baby shuts up the adversary, right? From barrenness to a baby. I mean, she's fruitful. She goes from bitterness in soul to blessed to thankful. From helpless and hopeless, now she's full and victorious. She's received her man-child. And so she names him Samuel. Uh, it means heard of God. God heard my prayer. Here, exhibit A. You know, this is the answer to my prayer. 1 John 5, again, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So that's the question I want to leave you with. Will you pray for supernatural births? Will you pray by faith powerfully, pray rightfully, rightly, pray persistently, pray in faith, pray believingly in order to see God do what only he can do in the life of your church? Faith says, I've taken this burden. I know what God's called me to. I don't see it right now in my life, but I know that God's going to make a way. I can't make the way. God's going to make a way. And so I'm going to leave it with the Lord, and now I'm going to get to work right, in obedience to the Lord's command, knowing it won't be by my might, by my power, by my strength, but God's going to do what only God can do. He's going to work. God, so help me God by his grace, he's going to work in and through my life for his glory. I'm going to get to participate. Maybe it's with a, 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 a small group Bible study. Maybe it's in, participa in participation with the services that we hold together, but I'm going to be a part of seeing new life entering into God's kingdom. God's going to use me in a supernatural way. When I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be able to point at someone and say, you're my crown of rejoicing. You're my reward. <laughs> you're, you're what I was trusting the Lord for all along. Will you trust God to do what only he can do in the life of your church? Man, I love you guys. I thank God for you. I thank God for your example and testimony. And I pray that the Lord will shine his face on you that he will bless you, and that he'll truly make you fruitful, a multiplying people uh, for his glory. God bless you guys.